Welcome to the Cleansing Word Podcast with Pastor John of Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa. Join us as we go through the Bible as we encourage your walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, visit us at cclv.org. And please share and subscribe to this podcast. Now let's hear a message from God's Word. Tonight we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy chapters 15 and 16. And in both chapters, hands are mentioned. So I titled this, Our Hands in Worship. Deuteronomy chapter 15 and also chapter 16. I titled this, Our Hands in Worship. And it's not uh, just a Old Testament theme, a New Testament theme as well. In 1 Timothy 2.8, it says, I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. Let's go ahead and ask God to bless the teaching of his word tonight. So, Father, we uh, pray that you would teach us through your word tonight. And specifically, I see in this, Lord, our hands in worship, lifting up holy hands, not coming empty-handed, not being tight-fisted, some of the things that will be mentioned tonight. But, Lord, it really speaks about our actions that we have as worshipers in this world, how we treat others and how we exalt you in our worship by using our hands. And so, Lord, I just pray that this would be tonight a good reminder for us, as it was for the children of Israel so many years ago, as you were preparing them to enter into the promised land. They needed to remember the importance of their hands, not only in warfare, but in worship. So tonight, Lord, teach us, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I'd read from 1 Timothy 2.8 where Paul said, I desire all men everywhere to lift up holy hands. In that passage, Paul is instructing the church how they are to conduct themselves in their public life. And also I believe it's important in our private lives as well. It's important for the church to pray anywhere and everywhere while lifting up holy hands without wrath or doubting, while our prayer posture may not necessarily have to be in a position like this, it's really the important thing is the posture of our heart before the Lord. The psalmist in Psalm 141 said, verse 2, Let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands, as the evening sacrifice. So here we have another verse in Scripture that does talk about the lifting up of our hands. Uh, I don't lift the hands too well anymore after four shoulder surgeries, so mine is usually a lower lift if I'm lifting at all. But hands in worship, and sometimes I discover that in certain moments my hands will automatically begin to lift and bring worship to the Lord. David saw his prayers as incense here in Psalm 
141, before God, the lifting of holy hands as the evening sacrifice. And tonight in Deuteronomy 15 and 16, Moses instructs Israel about the importance of their hands in worshiping Yahweh. For it is our hands that we serve others and we give our gifts to God. So chapter 15, I titled this chapter, Hands Wide Open. And two verses I pulled out for key verses for us. They say uh, the same thing, a little more detail in each one, but Deuteronomy 15.8 and also verse 11, Deuteronomy 15.8, it says, But you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficiently for his need, whatever he needs. In verse 11, For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, You shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor, to your needy in your land. So here it's talking about our position in worship in a sense of how we serve others. Our hand is to be opened wide. Chapter 15 reminds Israel of some of the things that should take place during the Sabbath rest in the land each seventh year. Every seventh year, their land was to lay fallow. It was to rest from the plow, to show honor to God, to show uh, trust to God for his provision during that time. But also it was called the Lord's release. We see that in verses 1 through 6. And this is also found in Exodus 21, 1 through 11, Leviticus 21, Leviticus 25, verses 1 through 7. So this is just kind of building up on passages that Moses has previously taught the children of Israel. But remember, he's reminding the second generation as they prepare to go into the promised land, how they were to conduct themselves. Deuteronomy 15, 1 through 6 says, At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release of debts. And this is the form of the release. Every creditor who has lent anything to his neighbor shall release it. He shall not require it of his neighbor or his brother because it is called the Lord's release. Of a foreigner, you may require it, but you shall give up your claim to what is owed by your brother. Verse 4, except when there be no poor among you, for the Lord will greatly bless you in the land which the Lord your God is given you to possess as an inheritance. Only if you carefully obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe with care all these commandments, which I command you today, for the Lord your God will bless you just as he promised you. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. You shall reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over you. Now, the preface in this whole thing for the children of Israel, and remember, this is talking to the children of Israel. In verse 5, he says, If you carefully obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe with care all the commandments which I command you today. For the most part, of the history of the children of Israel, they had not been careful to obey the voice of the Lord their God, to observe with care the commandments 
of the Lord. So these are promises that God made to the children of Israel, but they were conditional promises. Israel often failed the conditions that God set before them. But in Israel's service to God, it was to reflect Sabbath keeping. Remember the Lord in creation week rested on the Sabbath day. And it wasn't until we get to Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, that the Sabbath is mentioned again. So we learn in the creation week in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 of the creation week in the seven days of creation, the seventh day being the Sabbath rest. But the Sabbath wasn't mentioned again until we come to Exodus 28, where we are given the fourth commandment. And it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And it wasn't just the Israelis, the Israelis who were supposed to rest, but their animals, the servants, the strangers, that all might be refreshed in their land. So every week on the seventh day, for us, the first day of the week is a Sunday. We kind of semi-practice this in the church today. But every week on the seventh day, Saturday, they were to rest. Their servants, their strangers, their animals, that all would be refreshed. But in the seventh year, their land was to rest, and it was known as the Lord's release. Exodus 23, 10 through 11 tells us, Six years you shall sow in your land and gather its produce, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and life fallow that the poor of your people may eat, and whatever they leave, the beasts of the field may eat. In like manner you shall do with your vineyard and with your olive grove. So it was a rest for the land that the poor could come and uh, find provision for themselves, a type of gleaning. Whatever would grow naturally in that seventh year was for anyone. It wasn't trespassing according to God. You could go and uh, pick the crop and and take what you need in the seventh year. But it was also a year of releasing debts. So in the Hebrew, and this is clear, it, it speaks about the Hebrew brothers. So the foreigners, verse 3, you can keep requiring. They loaned, borrowed money from you. You can require them in the seventh year to keep paying back that money. But your Jewish brethren, it's to be a release. Some think that it was only in the seventh year, like they got a year off of paying back the loan, and then it would pick up again in the eighth year. Scripture seems to speak about it being a release of the debt. Um, I believe it was a release of the debts because later on we'll see the Lord saying to the people, the creditors, those who had loaned out the money, that don't let it bother you that you're releasing this debt. Now, in a sense, if I'm loaning out money and I realize, well, they're just taking a year off and they're going to start paying on it again in the eighth year, at least you could plan for that. But this being a release seems to say that it was not just for the seventh year, but they were being released as the people would be released as well. So we live in a world where it's accustomed to have a debt for our house, a vehicle, or other many other things. 
It was not to be the norm in Israel. God promised Israel, if they were obedient to keep his commands, that he would also bless them above all the other nations, that they wouldn't borrow money from other nations. Other nations would come to them to borrow from them. They wouldn't be ruled over by other nations, but they would rule over the other nations if they lived up to Yahweh's commands. He also said they would could be a time where there'd be no poor in the land. Maybe the closest they ever got to this was in King Solomon's reign. But we know that there were some harsh things that came out of that that caused the nation to divide immediately following King Solomon's reign. But having a rest in the seventh year is a beautiful design by God for his people and for the land. And... Uh, you know, I did some odd jobs, 14, 15 years old, but officially um, working at Jewel Food Stores on my 16th birthday, I went in to, got my driver's license, and I went to get uh, an application to go to work and got a job at Jewel. And I've been working ever since. But in God's design, so considering I began working at 16, in God's design, I should have had a Sabbath rest at the age of 22, 29, 36, 43, 50, and 57. I haven't got to the latter date yet. yet. I'm getting close to it. It's not that I believe that they did nothing. They still had animals. They still had things to do, but the priority would be shifted in that seventh year. The land would rest, and in many sense, the people should rest as well. It was a year to slow down as far as work was concerned, a time to um, be reminded that God is our ultimate provider, but also a time to focus on relationships with God, with family, with friends. And so the year of release. So in verses 1 through 6, the Lord's release, and here we have, the title, The Year of Release, we find it in our passage. Deuteronomy 15, 7 through 11, it says, If there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates of your land which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Beware lest... There be a wicked thought in your heart saying, the seventh year, the year of release is at hand. Your eye be evil against your poor brother and you give him nothing. And he cries out to the Lord against you. It shall become sin among you. Now, I found that wording interesting. I didn't go into any detail on it, but um, in my head, I would say, He's speaking to me. He's speaking to an individual in Israel. And in my head, I would think you would say, it shall become sin to you. But he said sin among you, a little larger in the community. It's going to impact the community itself, not just the individual. So it shall become sin among you. You shall surely give to him, and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him. Because this 
For this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your works, in all to which you put your hand. For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, you shall open your hand wide to your brother and to the poor and to your needy in your land. And so in one sense, we have to understand that if you're in the position to loan to help others, that puts you in a certain class and that you're able to give assistance. Sometimes we may not financially be able to help others. Sometimes we can help by giving our time and by serving others. Uh, sometimes we can help by helping in financial situations. But Moses understood that forgiving the debt in the seventh year could cause some to not want to even loan out the money. And so he reminded them not to harden their hearts, nor to shut their hands to those in need. Rather, verse 8, open their hand wide to him and willingly lend sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. And perhaps it could be a situation in the sixth year where someone has need. They come to a Jewish brethren to request a loan. Moses said, don't even think about the seventh year. Don't think about the year of release. Don't let that prevent you from loaning to your brother. If you don't give to, give to him, he may cry out to the Lord. And if he cries out to the Lord, it will become sin among you. Verse 9. In James 4:17, he had a similar thing where it says, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him... It is sin. So Israelis were to give to their brothers, their sisters, to keep their hearts from being grieved in sin. And additionally, helping others would cause the Lord's blessing to come upon them and their nation. John speaks about giving in 1 John 3:17, saying, But whoever has this world's goods sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him how does the love of God abide in him so in the Old Testament they talk about the hand don't close your hand don't be tight-fisted but in reality John gets it right it's a heart issue too you shut up the heart you shut up the heart you'll shut your hand and you will not help those who have need so a very practical way of revealing our love for God is through serving others. Not only by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, but by sharing, providing for those who have need. Hebrews 13, 16. Again, we can find this. But do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So we have continual reminders of how we are to share, to do good. The fruit of our lips is not only to give thanks to God for those good things that he's done for each of us and every day. It's also to declare the things that we do. Let them do good. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, 18 and 19, that they may be rich in good works ready to give, ready, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. So Jesus talked about that, and we're getting to it. Uh, 
You're laying hold of eternal life. The things we do in this earth now has eternal benefits. And Jesus said that we're laying up treasures in heaven. In Matthew 6, 19 through 21, do not lay up for yourself treasures on the earth where moth, rust, destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there also is your heart. So that's helping the year of release, letting the land go fallow, um, be willing to help those who have need, have an open hand toward them, and then releasing the Hebrew man or woman, the bond servants, in verses 12 through 18. This is also found in Exodus 21, 2 through 6. Deuteronomy 15, 12 through 18, it says, If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you and serves you six years, then in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. And when you send him away, free from you, you shall not let him go away empty-handed. You shall supply him liberally from your flock, from your threshing floor, from your wine press, from what the Lord has blessed you with, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this thing today. And if it happens that he says to you, I will not go away from you because he loves you and your house, since he prospers with you, then you shall take an awl and thrust it through his ear at the door or to the door, and he shall be your servant forever. Also to your female servant, you shall do likewise. So the year of release in the seventh year, they were to be released uh, the Hebrew man, he specifically talks about here, the Hebrew woman, um, another passage in Exodus 21, 2 through 6, it says the woman shall not be released. So not a lot of detail on the woman, but mentioned twice in verse 12 and verse 17. But I could see a situation like Naomi, where... Uh, she had great need where she could put herself in a situation of servitude and being an older woman, serving in a household for six years, being released again to take care of her own needs, but being set up. And that's whether male or female to be set up by those that they were serving, supplying them. They sh shall not go away empty handed. You shall supply them liberally with your flock, your threshing floor, your wine press, to bless that individual with the things that the Lord had blessed you with. Again, it's a trusting in the Lord. Although the children of Israel had been freed from the bondage of Egypt, some would acquire such great debt. God allowed them to become indentured servants. For the Jewish brethren, it would be for a period of six years. Afterwards, in the seventh year, they were to be set free. So if your brother, a term that reminds Israel that they were Hebrews, not slaves. They were not going to go back to the economics of Egypt 
but they were to live free in the promised land. But a lot can happen in six years. So God gave additional rules for indentured servants. Here in our text, it says that the servant loves the master. He doesn't want to leave. In Exodus 21, 2 through 6, we discover the possibility of the master giving a wife to the male slave. They have children. The man is the only one would be allowed to leave because the wife and children would belong in that society, belong to the master. And so for the sake of the family, he would say, I love my master, my wife, my children. I will not go out free. And then they would come to the judges and they would bring him to the doorposts and then he would be pierced in the ear and he would serve him forever. So thrusting through, putting the mark on the ear, uh, whether by the scar or the hole in his ear. I don't know if they did say a thing about an earring being worn there uh, as a fashion statement, but think about this. Paul said of his own body, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus Christ. He became that bond servant. Galatians 6:17. he bore scars because of his love for Jesus. So verse 18, you shall not send them you shall not seem hard. Let me read it right. Verse 18, it shall not seem hard to you when you send him away, free from you. For he has been worth the double hire servant in serving you six years. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. So God again reminds them, you're sending them away in the sixth year. They've been a great asset to you during those six years. But it shouldn't seem hard because you've been doubly blessed. Uh, they were not a nine-to-five employee. They were servants. They were on call at the master's beck and call. And so in a sense, he got his money worth, money's worth out of them. So the Israelis were not to be grieved over this. When lending to the poor or releasing an indentured servant, rather they were to be grateful for the provision that God had given them, the labor that they had received, because they were able to help their Jewish brother or sister survive in the homeland. Think about the story of Ruth. What if Elimelech, who took his wife Naomi, his two sons, Malon and Chilion, who during hard times went to Moab to try to survive. Now we know the whole part of that story gets Ruth to be part of the uh, lineage of Christ. So it was a necessary thing for them. But what if they were able to survive in the land? What if they had Jewish brethren that were able to help them during the hard times survive in the land? Maybe they would have never had to leave. Now we know the story of Ruth gets us into the lineage of Christ, so that's its own thing. But just thinking about that, sometimes people leave because they're looking for hope, looking for help when it can't be found in their own nation. In Acts 20, 34 and 35, Paul says, Yes, you yourself know 
that these hands, talking about hands once again, these hands have provided for my necessities. And for those who are with me, I've shown you in every way by laboring like this, that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus. He said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So Paul gives us that one, the Lord saying, it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's a bonus. It's not found in the Gospels. But Paul saying, my hands, they provided for myself and they provided those for those who were with me. That I could show you that you must also support the weak. So the importance of serving with our hands. It really speaks about our work that we have in this world and the gifts, the talents that the Lord gives us and then how we can use that, our hands as part of our action, our body, our gifts um, in giving to others and making connection with others and blessing others. So 19 through 23, when we close out this chapter, it says, referring to the firstborn animals, all the firstborn males that come from your herd, from your flock, you shall sanctify to the Lord your God. You shall do no work with the firstborn of your herd, nor shear the firstborn of your flock. You and your household shall eat it before the Lord your God year by year in the place that the Lord chooses. But if it is a defect in it, if it is lame or blind or has a serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. You may eat it within your gates. The clean and the unclean person alike may eat it as if it was a, were a gazelle or a deer. You shall not eat its blood. You shall be poured out on the ground. So uh, really, um, we know that God claimed all the firstborn animals. If they were unclean animals, they were to either be sold or have their neck broken. If they were clean animals that belonged to the Lord and they were to bring it to the temple, to the tabernacle and their feast with that animal and sacrifice to the Lord, have communion with the Lord, with their family, with um, those in their community and the poor. And really the additional information that I found here is that during that first year, uh, they couldn't do any work with those animals. They couldn't have any benefit from the animal at all. It's a firstborn lamb, but you can't shear the f wool off that lamb. You got to let it be. That's the Lord's. The only exception would be if it had some kind of defect and then they could eat it within their gates with the clean and unclean people alike, treating it as if it was a wild animal. So year by year, the Jews were to come before the Lord. All men were to appear before the Lord three times a year in the place that the Lord would require. And that place would move from uh, place to place until it came to Jerusalem. Initially, God had it in Gilgal and then Shiloh and then Nob, Gibeon, and then finally Jerusalem. But all the people were required to come and worship before the Lord. When they came, 
And they were to bring the firstborn males from their herd or from their flocks. Last week, if you recall, we learned that if it was too far to travel, then they could sell some of the stuff and then redeem it kind of when they got to Jerusalem or to Gilgal, wherever they were going. But they were to have fellowship. They were to feast with the Lord. They were to have a time when they could celebrate with the children of Israel. What really stood out to me in this chapter, you shall open your hand wide, verse 8, to your brother. Open your hand wide to your brother, verse 11. That open our hand wide, it means to open, to loose, to free, to freely open our hands to help those who have need among us. Even if they knew that they would never get paid back, that year of release, they're losing in the process. Yet God promised if you do this, I will greatly bless you. And while God hinted about the possibility in verse 4 about having no poor in the land, if they would obey his command, that never happened. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 26, 11, we would have the poor with us always. This means for us today that we have multiple opportunities to open our hand wide, to help those in need. And in doing so, we'll find blessing from God when we serve the Lord in this way. But also in our hands, verse 16, we're not to appear before the Lord empty-handed. So here's the three times a year, Deuteronomy 16, 16, and verse 17, key verses in this chapter. Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, at the Feast of Tabernacles. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of our Lord, the Lord your God, which he has given you. So, chapter 16, we have a reminder of the three feast days that all the men in Israel were required to attend, whether at the tabernacle or the temple, no matter the location of it, there's only the one place that they were to come and worship the Lord at that time. And as I said, that place moved around a bit once they got into the promised land from Gilgal to Shiloh to Nob to Gibeon and finally to Jerusalem. So three times a year they were required to come. At the time of Christ, Josephus, a Jewish historian that lived around the time of Christ, actually recorded the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, said the population of uh, Jerusalem could swell to some two million people during the annual feast days, like Passover, our first feast that's mentioned. In verses 1 through 8, you shall observe the month of Abib, And keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. Therefore you shall sacrifice the Passover to the Lord your God from the flock and the herd. In the place where the Lord chooses to put his name, you shall eat no leavened bread in it. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread with it. That is the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste that you may remember the day in which the Lord, in which you came out of the land of Egypt 
all the days of your life. And no leaven shall be among you in all the territory for seven days, nor shall any meat, any of the meat which you sacrifice on the first day at twilight remain overnight until morning. You may, you may not eat this Passover within any of your gates which the Lord your God gives you, but at the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide, and there you shall sacrifice the Passover at twilight, at the going down of the sun, at the time you came out of Egypt, you shall roast it, eat it in the place which the Lord your God chooses, and in the morning you shall turn and go to your tent. Six days you shall eat unleavened bread, on the seventh day there shall be a sacred assembly to the Lord your God, and you shall do no work. So the Feast of Passover, also called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, celebrated as one because it was the time when the Lord had passed over the children of Israel. They were released from Egypt on that night. There was to be a feast of unleavened bread. No leaven was to be found in their homes. And they reminded the people of God's deliverance of them from the land of Egypt and his provision for them in the promised land. Today, Passover reminds us of the work that Jesus did on the cross. The one who was without leaven or without sin, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5.17, sorry, 1 Corinthians 5.7, Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you are truly unleavened for Christ. Our Passover was sacrificed for us. The next feast all males were required to attend the Feast of Weeks, verses 9 through 12. And you shall count seven weeks for yourself. Begin to count the seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the grain. And you shall keep the Feast of Weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a freewill offering from your hand, once again the hands mentioned, which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you, you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. You, your sons, your daughter, the male servant and the female servant, the Levite who is within your gates, the stranger, the fatherless, the widow who are among you at the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. So the Feast of Weeks, also Shavuot, Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, a celebration of the harvest, and traditionally it marks a time when God gave the law to Moses, but for us today it marks the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church for the church today. In Acts 2, verses 1 through 4, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, and they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing and mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and sat on each one of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so it was going to be for Israel, Passover was a time of a great celebration. 
for the church today. It's when the Holy Spirit poured out upon the church. Many would say the birth of the church took place on that day. But because Israel was gathered for this feast, when the apostles went out and proclaimed the word of God in Acts chapter 2, some 3,000 came to give their heart to Jesus. For Israel, they were to rejoice before the Lord their God. It was a harvest celebration. And they were to not only feed, and this is all singular. In my head, I think sons and daughters, but it was written in all singular form. Your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, the widow. It was going. It was to be beyond their family and uh, serving others as well. I was reminded of it. I think I was talking to one of the grandsons about, um, actually was talking to one of the grandsons last week, and I'd mentioned someone from the Navy, and uh, they tried to guess who I was talking about, and I said, well, we've had a lot of military couples and individuals come through our church through the years, and so... I shared about a time before I was pastor here at Calvary Chapel. We lived over in Winthrop Harbor, and Pastor Mike, the pastor of our fellowship before me, uh, called me up one day and said, we got some Navy corpsmen that would like a ride to church. Can you and Lily go pick them up? And so it's like, sure, no problem. So uh, he gave us the contact information. We went down and picked up the corpsmen. They were there for maybe two or three months in training, they weren't there for long, but uh, we ended up having a pretty good group that started coming. So much so that I recall my contact there, and I can't even remember their names now, but um, I'd call them on Sunday morning. It's like, do we need to bring one vehicle or two? And sometimes it was two, sometimes it was one. But also when at that time Easter rolled around, we invited them over to the house, and they celebrated with us. We uh, expanded our feast and had them over for Easter, and it was a very special time. That's kind of the sense of this, the celebration. Go beyond your family to those, the w- widow, the fatherless, the stranger, male and female servant. We could say uh, my boss, one of my bosses I had was really big in this, uh, a Christian man, And uh, he would invite employees to things that were family events, invite missionaries. Uh, I met one of the missionaries that now is located in this area at my boss's house probably over 30 years ago. Kind of interesting. So we have the feast days. Feast of Tabernacles, verses 13 through 15, the third feast. You shall observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days. And when you gather from your threshing floor, from your wine press, and you shall rejoice in your feast, you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, who are within your gates. Seven days you shall keep sacred feasts to the Lord your God. In the place the Lord your God chooses, because the Lord your God bless you with all the produce and all the work of your hands, you shall surely rejoice. So this is Sukkoth, the booths, where they would make these, it's like family camp, 
They would make these huts. It was to be a time to remind them of God's provision when they were in the wilderness. And today we live in a wilderness where sin abounds, but Jesus came and paid the price of that sin, gained victory over sin and death. And one day we look forward to a time where we'll be with him forever. Jesus came in Revelation 21.3. It tells us that the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people and God will himself will be with them and be their God. So they were to have the Feast of Tabernacles. One day, Jesus himself will tabernacle himself among men. God will be with them. So recap to the three annual feasts in verses 16 through 17. Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place that he chooses, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Tabernacles, And they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. The hands again are hands in worship. Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord, your God, which he has given you. So they were not to appear empty-handed, but bring their tithes, their offerings to the Lord, according to which that God has blessed them. And one day we will stand before the Lord, and I don't want to appear empty-handed. Now, I won't be bringing um, any dollar bills with George Washington on them, no uh, Lincolns or any of the earthly funds that we have here on this earth. But the gifts and the talents that the Lord has given me, I pray that I'm able to present them to the Lord like the wise stewards that's found in Matthew 25. Matthew 25:20 so he had received 5 or 2 talents verse 22 the talents came and brought 5 others and the lord delivered to me 5 talents or 2 depending on the servant and i've gained 5 others i gained 2 more and the lord said Matthew 25, 21, and also in verse 23, he said the same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So the chapter closes out with justice for all. So I'm going to not read this. Uh, it's only a few verses, but I'm going to break the verses down and make comment on them as I go through them. In verse 18, you shall appoint judges and officers in all your gates, which the Lord your God gives you according to your tribe, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. Israelis were to always do what was right before the Lord God and others, and to help ensure that they would live righteous lives, or live righteously, they were to appoint judges in all their gates. That basically means in all their cities. They were to appoint judges. They were not to defile their land by living unrighteously before the Lord their God, but they were to live righteous in the land. They were not to pervert justice. Verse 19. You shall not pervert justice. 
You shall not show partiality, nor take a bribe. For a bribe binds the eyes, blinds the eyes of the wise, twists the words of the righteous. So they were to treat others with fairness and in truth. They were not to distort truth to favor the wealthy or the poor. Moreover, they were to keep far away from falsehood by not aligning themselves with the wicked and perverting justice. Isaiah 1.17 says, Learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead, plead for the widow. Now, I read verses 18 and 19. I'll read them to you again. You shall appoint judges and officers in all your gates, which the Lord your God gives you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality, nor take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise, twists the words of the righteous. I read those verses, and I think of the condition of our judicial system in our own country and how perverted it has become. And they are blind in many ways. And we did a wedding on Sunday, and I was talking to one of the Lake County judges prior to the wedding, and she was telling me about the... (laughs) The every time that heater kicks on, it like increases my microphone level and then drops back down suddenly. Anyways, she was telling me that in Illinois, the Safety Act is going. She said next week, I believe I looked it up. It's September 18th. Uh, They've been given time. It was passed for January 1st. It hasn't gone into play officially yet. But basically, she was telling me how her hands will be tied in many ways, um, things she cannot do. And basically the Safety Act, what I was reading about online today, is a no-bail policy. So you get busted, you go to court, you have a court date, you're released on bail, but without having to put up any money, and uh, hopefully you'll come back. And... It's just our system is following the path of other very liberal states that are really uh, collapsing and people are fleeing their states and the state of Illinois is one of those states that people are fleeing. And this is going to be the reason why. They do pervert justice. They do show partiality. They do take bribes. They are blinded. And they do twist. We are, though, in the midst of all that, we still, Isaiah 117, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Just because the world's messed up, we're not supposed to go down that path. So verse 20, you shall follow what is altogether just that you may live and inherit the land which the Lord your God has given you. So by maintaining true justice, the land itself could remain undefiled, that Yahweh could dwell among them in the midst of their people and be their God. And then he closes with a warning 
In verses 21 and 22, you shall not plant for yourself any tree as a wooden image near the altar which you build for yourselves to the Lord your God. You shall not set up a sacred pillar which the Lord your God hates. So a reminder of the second commandment, you shall not make for yourself any carved images. I'm going to plant me a tree and I'm going to make an idol out of that tree. You're not to do that. Leviticus 26.1, you shall not make idols for yourself, neither a carved image or a sacred pillar. You shall, shall you rear up for yourselves, nor shall you set up an engraved stone in the land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. To have a right relationship with the Lord God, we must also have right relationships with our brothers and sisters. We've seen this in Deuteronomy chapters 15 and 16. Sometimes it's by helping those who have need. Other times it's by um, administering justice, just things, and helping others as well. And this is such an important issue for the church that Jesus even taught us in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 12, to forgive our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. So we pray for the Lord to forgive us just as we have forgiven others. And then he said, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. Tonight we learned about the importance of our hands in worship. Sometimes it means that we're helping others. We're giving to others. We're other times it's speaking about worshiping to the Lord, lifting up our holy hands to the Lord in worship. At other times it's talking about giving our tithe to the Lord, but our hands in worship. It really speaks about our work that we have in this life and how other people see us as we serve our Father in heaven. Let's go ahead and stand. For those who may be listening on WLGS tonight, maybe you're watching through our video stream, maybe you're hearing this at a later time and you have questions regarding faith, please email us at cclv at comcast.net, cclv at comcast.net. This coming Sunday, we are going to be in Lesson 59 of our chronological journey through the Gospels, and I titled this, Abundant Life, and we're going to be looking at John's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. John, chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. A famous passage of Scripture when Jesus talks about not only being the good shepherd, but the door and having life in his name. So, Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for this time to come to look into Scripture and help us, Lord. Our hands just really speak about the work that we have in this life, the things that we are able to do with our hands, Lord. May we bring glory to you through helping others, through worshiping you, through the giving of our time, our tithes, our talents. Help us, Lord, to be your children, to do justly and to do what's right. 
in this land when often, Lord, there's so much corruption. We see it every day in the news. We pray, Father, that you would send revival. Our government is not going to repair or fix these things. But we know that you can change hearts and that you can change the soul of this nation. That we would, as a nation, once again, love the Lord God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.